You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. You know, I got several messages tonight that I want to speak. When I want to speak this first one to moms, and the first one is you're doing a good job. So um, take a deep breath. How do I know? Because you're here and you actually care and you got teared up when you heard that. If you didn't, then something else. But the fact you're stressed over it shows that you do. <laughs> you know, that's my answer a lot of times. People ask, how you doing? I go, I'm here. Some, you know, that, that matters a lot. And so the fact that you're sitting in the seats is beautiful to the Lord. And uh, I want you to know you, he sees you. Anyway, I'm, I'm just feeling tons of those thoughts. First off, everybody take the great inhale. Now exhale. Good. We're coasting from here. The main thing that's kind of on my heart tonight, and I, and I am, I'm just wrecked by that worship. I mean, dude pulled out that sax, and I ain't recovered. <laughs> it's not like you just move on. It's like, what? What do we do now? Who knows what I'm talking about, but I am drunk in the spirit, just gone. That's good, you know. I, I, I'm just kind of in my, I don't know what it is. I know it ties into this because when I think about, you know, moms, when I think about the calling of motherhood, I think about the great calling to the whole body of Christ, and it's the glory of hidden, hiddenness and the glory of living before the audience of one, living before the evaluation of one, and that we cultivate a life that is getting delivered from all the evaluations, the opinions, the measurements, and the comparisons of everyone around us, and that we can get locked in before the eyes of one while, and bring the glory of heaven into the mundane, into the today, the ugly, the routine, the, the not seeming that spiritual. The glory of motherhood is about living before the eyes of one, and, I, and, and that's what I'm feeling even the, the Lord speaking to me because I'm... Honestly, I, I believe, in, and, and so that's kind of the banner, moms, yes, but um, to all of us, I love the moments. I love the explosions. I love the conferences. We had a conference a month ago. Our whole family was in Fresno, and it was one of those conferences where you're laid on the ground, and there's explosions, and who loves the moments, huh? We're all here. God uses moments to get us here, but the majority of the Christian life are not the moments. The majority of the Christian life is the us of getting up and doing the same thing you did yesterday and doing it again today and believing that what you're doing matters to God and that you're pleasing Him in whatever task He's put before you. That's the glory and that's the majority of the Christian life. And how, because I, I see many that love the highs but don't know what to do in the us of life. And how to bring the glory of living before his eyes and bring that glory into the mundane of life. And, and I, 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 the majority of our Christian life is lived mundane. But how do we not just treat it nor separate it from, okay, that's church time and that's the glory where we get rocked by saxophone man. Oh, Kenny G over here. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that just came to me. She just said that, didn't you? 
I know it. I can feel it. Words of knowledge are starting to flow in here. So just slipping right into that prophetic ministry. But um, <laughs> I love the Kenny G moments, man. I love it when bro starts prophesying and starts, stuff starts getting rearranged on the inside. Anyway, I'm just... I just want to read a couple of things. So I wrote notes just because I don't have like this message. I have aspects of this message, but I feel something from the heart of the Lord. I've been feeling for the last pretty much today as I've just been praying into God, what is it? I'm convinced. I want to say this. I'm convinced that those who will be closest to the throne in heaven will be moms and grandmoms, mothers and grandmothers who embraced their calling and sowed their lives into heaven by the way that they did the mundane and they saw the holy manifest into the mundane. I believe that the most famous ones in heaven, we will get there, and it may not be Billy Graham up there. It will be moms and grandmothers that we never knew who discipled a generation and whose prayers while they were cleaning the house shifted a generation. I'm not saying that as a nice little casual thing. I believe that deep in my heart. It will be the prayers of grandmothers that will shift that have shifted history. A life that is well-pleasing to God is in many ways unnoticed by people. We are called to live our lives in light of eternity because of the stuff that will last. There's a great reversal going on. I'm grateful for the explosion of worship. I'm grateful for all the explosion of the the fame of upper room and the things God's into putting people and giving platforms. But at the end of the day, he says, if you make your glory that platform, you will ultimately lose out and fade into the distance. And if you do not cultivate the value of living before the audience of one, you will, you will find, and I, I really believe that God wants to impart that into you today, is that you have heaven's attention. You have heaven's attention, and I want to live before it. I want you to go ahead and turn with me. Well, there's a couple of verses that I want to look at tonight. Look with me in Colossians 3. I'm going to keep looking at the word hidden. Hidden. I don't know how to say it. Hidden. There it is. So I feel really intense. I'm kind of messed up, so whatever. I'm grateful. I preach 30 weekends a year. I do conferences. But that's not most of the stuff. That's not the majority of the stuff that I get the most excited about. For me, it looks like 6 a.m. prayer meetings with two people in it. You know, years ago, I mean, I'm just thinking that the stuff that we think was the biggest, we're going to get on the other side and find that the stuff that we thought was the biggest wasn't. And the stuff that we thought wasn't that big of a deal are going to be some of the most memorable and impactful things in eternity. I remember uh, my, I came from Kansas City. We spent 18 years there, and uh, uh, our, my spiritual father, Mike Bickle, uh, was uh, going to a 6 a.m. prayer meeting, 1995. Two people, he pulls into the parking lot. It's a snowy morning, Kansas City. He pulls into the, dry, uh, into the parking lot, two cars, and he's went, right when he walks to the front door of the church, right when he lays his hand on the door, he hears the most deafening sound in the whole wide world, he, it, he sounds it like Handel's Messiah, like the most loudest production going on. And he's mad because he thinks the guys have the new amps and the new system jammed and they're in there going crazy. So he storms into the room 
and it's like a thousand seat auditorium. He walks into the room, and one guy's sitting on an unplugged acoustic doing this, and another guy's sitting right next to him singing, and it's really quiet. And he spends the next hour saying, God, what was that? What was that? What, 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 what was that? And the Lord finally told him, he said, you just heard the sounds in heaven of the angels that accompany two of you when you gather in my name. It did, he, and, and the thing that shocked Mike was it wasn't that awesome of a prayer meeting. It was really boring. He says it was, he fell asleep twice. Wasn't that awesome? And yet that's what heaven was sounding like when, when these people were doing this. And I'm trying to take, I want you to see that in light of everything that we do. It's bringing the glory of living before the audience of one. Living before the audience of one. I also, and I'm just going to kind of just puke it on you tonight. I think about the famous pianist. He, he got to Carnegie Hall. He played in front of tens of thousands of people. He does his thing. He plays. Thousands of people stand up, and they're screaming his name, going crazy. And the reporter comes up to him. He goes, what did it feel like to have all those people shouting your name, screaming, da 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 He says, that was all awesome. I'll be honest with you, I loved it. He says, but honestly, up on the second row, I could see the great teacher who taught me everything. He wasn't standing, but I could see his hands doing that. He says, and that man doing that was worth more than the 2,000 people screaming my name. Because that's the stuff I want to get a hold of. We have it messed up. We have it way messed up. We've got it turned upside down, and we reward based on the same systems of the culture. We evaluate, we esteem, we extol, we say what's big is best, what's the most is best, what's the sexiest is the best, and I'm convinced that the stuff of heaven that gets heaven's attention is meekness, humility, faithfulness, consistency, Showing up when it's not that cool, when it's not that awesome, and you do it unto the Lord. And you do, I'm not just talking about being the remote thing, but I'm talking about understanding I got his attention. And that when I'm wiping that kid's butt, I got his attention. When I'm getting groceries, when I'm running errands, when I'm doing dishes, when I'm doing clothes, when I'm doing what I do, it's heavenly and it's awesome. I'm convinced that the majority of many believers are building lots of stuff who are living for the applause of men, living for the excitement of men, living for a man's attention. I'm just going to read a couple of verses to you. All right, Colossians 3. Do we have that up there? Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Next verse. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Kind of sounds like what the Lord told Samuel when he came to David. Handsome, linebacker, football stud, looking awesome. It's got to be one of these guys. And the Lord slaps him and says, stop it. Man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. Get delivered from the outward evaluation and get connected to heaven's evaluation of the heart. Here's the phrase. You died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Just, I love that phrase. And the major- and our lives are hidden even from ourselves. 
we don't fully see the glory of who we are. It's hidden from each other. We're not that awesome. I mean, we are, but we're not. (laughs) And that's cool. Your lives were hidden in Christ with God. But look at the next verse. He says, but when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When the revelation of of you living the hidden life, of living that hidden reality, of it veiled from you, there is coming a day that everything that was done in hiddenness will be openly manifest. And I want to sow my 60 years of hiddenness saying, God, when the light turns on, heaven appears, I want to come forth shining in glory. Go ahead and look with me in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 3, 11. No other foundation can that which be laid. Yeah. There it is. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone, here it is. Now anyone builds on this foundation with gold, Silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Go back to the verse 11. He talks about suffering loss. The next verse, 12. He says, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Do you know there's coming a day to where you're going to stand before the Lord? And to where everything that you accumulated in this life, I always picture it like we have our car washes. That we're going to go before a fire wash in heaven. And that fire, in the same way you come in dirty, the car comes in dirty, and then it comes out sparkling. On the other side, in the same way, we're going to come before the judgment seat. I'm not talking about lost or or saved. I'm talking about what kind of life as a Christian did you live? And there are going to be so many people. And, And what I love that Paul highlights right here, he says, some will have gold, silver, precious stones, while others have wood, hay, and straw. And that many will come with all their accumulations in God all the accumulations in the name of God, all the accumulations that they achieved in this life, and that they will go before the fire wash, and when eternity is applied to all of their earthly works, it will manifest whether it was done in view of eternity or if it was done for the applause of men. And the fire wash will be applied to all of those works, and many, some will come forth as a reward, but others will suffer loss. Now that's intense. The thing that's hitting me, as you go back to verse 12, is this reality. Where do you find gold, silver, and precious stones? Hidden where? That's right. And where do you find wood, hay, and straw? That's right. The great separator that will pass through the fire and carry on into eternity, the stuff that was found in the hidden place where man couldn't see, nor evaluate, nor discern, nor tell how awesome it was. 
The stuff that was wrought in the secret place will be manifested as reward in the age to come. And many things that was easy that was found on top of the ground, because it's about on top of the ground or under the ground, that which is hidden or that which is exposed, because the point is this, Jesus said it, you're either going to get your reward here or you're going to get it in the age to come. That's why he told us about the Pharisees. Don't pray like them. They pray, da, 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 da. They're into their language. They're into where they do it. They're into doing all of their stuff so people can say, you're awesome. There's your reward. He says, I want you to get a vision to get delivered from my applause of you. And I want you to get a vision for heaven's applause of your life. Now, he's going to applause, and he's going to do amazing things. I'm not pitting them against each other. I'm just saying, I want the hidden stuff. Good. Look with me in 1 Peter 2, 3 and 4. And then I'll I'll just kind of share with you. If indeed you've tasted the Lord is gracious. Next verse. Coming to him as a living stone injected, redeemed by men. Next verse. No, it's not First Peter, it's Second Peter. Which one is it? it? It's three, it's three. Go to three, I'm sorry. First Peter three. Here it is. Do not, go back to two. Three, two. Next verse. Verse one. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Here we go. <laughs> That even if some do not obey the word, look at this phrase, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, which means godly women can lead, you know, dumb guys to Jesus. <laughs> when, they, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Next verse. Here it is. Do not let your adornment be, I love this phrase, merely. Everybody say merely. He's not saying don't have the other. He's just saying don't get your reward on the outside. Don't let it be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. The hidden person of the heart with incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, this is what gets heaven's attention. Jesus. I believe that God wants to call all of us to the cultivation of our interior lives at a whole nother level. We want to cultivate flowers of gentleness, quietness, meekness, humility. Working out those things that nobody sees on the inside. Because I'm honestly, I'm just sharing with you as someone who, who is, I've done it. I'm doing it. I love it. But it's not, but, I'm, but at the end of the day, I'm having an intensity growing in my heart. I'm 42, and I'm like, God, I got 40 years, 50 years, if you tarry. 60 years if you tarry. God, whatever, let me live long, but God, I want to make this count. And I don't want to waste time with losing eternal rewards by getting you 
putting nice stickers on my shirt and telling me how awesome I am. God, I want to get your heaven's attention with my life. I want to embrace the mundane. I want to go to the lowest place with difficult people. I want to serve difficult people. I want to go the extra mile with difficult people because I know I have heaven's evaluation on my life. I want to fight. I want to fight in the mundane when I don't want to get up in the morning. I want to hear heaven's evaluation. Corey, come be with me. And I want to be with you, God, and cultivate a hidden life that nobody will ever see, nor can ever be measured, nor can ever be monitored, nor can ever be given any amount of anything to. I want to live a life like that. I want to live a life worthy of his calling. I want incorruptible beauty on the inside of me that nobody sees. I want incorruptible beauty. I want a life that's conducive to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want a cultivated garden on the inside of me. That come hell or high water, there's a smile on the inside of me. (laughs) I know you want it too. Jesus. 1 John 3 says, Now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed who what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself. I love Song of Solomon 4.16, Let the north winds come, let the south winds come, and blow upon my garden. That's what's in my heart in this season. Go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 25. And we're going to leave it at this. Last time I was with you, I spoke on the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Revelation 22. Everybody say, Holy Spirit. Christianity is about inside out, not outside in. I want to catch his attention, I want to catch his gaze. I want to make it count. The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise, five were foolish. Those who were foolish, they took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels, which means they had reserves, as well as they had it in their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept, which means there was no discernible difference between the wise and the foolish in the earlier season. But then at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish, now when the light shined, all of a sudden a great distinction was made. And as the light gets brighter before the Lord's returning, that which has been cultivated in secret is going to be openly manifest. You can't really tell much of a difference right now between wise and foolish. And in this parable, lamps are our ministries. We all have them. Oil is intimacy with the Holy Spirit. It's the secret, hidden life with the Holy Spirit that nobody ever sees and nobody ever knows about. It's your hidden life. And nobody in this season can really tell a difference. 
But the days are coming, and it's a whisper right now. The cry of, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. It's a whisper right now. But it's going to get louder and louder and louder before he returns. And as that begins to get louder, we're going to begin to see a great distinction between the ones who went after the hidden deep life and the ones who were looking just to get enough anointing to keep their ministries going. They only prayed when they needed to preach a message. They only prayed to sing or when they were going to be used by God, but they didn't build a history with God when nobody else was ever watching. And look at what the foolish said to the wise. Give us some, you'll go back. Yeah, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But the wise said no. Everybody say no. I'm here to tell you right now, you've got to learn to say no to the tyranny of the urgent. You've got to learn to say no to the demands and the distractions and the allurements of an age that wants you keep you performing for people on the outside while neglecting the garden on the inside. You have got to learn to say no because if you don't learn it today, we're not going to say it in those days because we'll be running around frantically. Look at the franticness of the foolish ones. All they cared about was their lamps and what they were doing for people. It was about what they looked like on the outside. But the wise says, uh-uh, you don't get this by my hand laid on you, and I'm not going to take what I've cultivated in the secret place and give it to you. It doesn't work that way, buddy. You can't get it in a ministry line. You can't get it by my hand laid on you. you got to go buy it for yourself. you got to go get it when nobody else is watching. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you energy. It's going to cost you saying no to 10,000 things so you can get the one thing. you got to learn to say no. Say no to that person who wants you to be their Messiah and wants you to go pray to God for them. Sometimes you need to learn to say no, and you go, you go wrestle it out with God. You go wrestle it out with God. No is one of the greatest answers we can give in this hour. I want to learn to say no better. Oh, the cost. We don't, we don't get these moments back. There is a cost of loss. No, lest there should not be enough for you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. It's intense. Oh, the, in, the, the, the secret life of God. And I just want to honor, and I just want to call moms, dads, sons, and daughters above everything that you can give yourself to in this season. I'm grateful for all the gifts. I'm grateful for all the ministries, the mandates, and business, in the church, and how all those converge and how God uses you. But at the end of the day, there is something that you can give Him when nobody else is watching. And that's a secret life of daily decisions. They talk about John Wesley, the great Methodist reformer, the great Methodist revivalist. They talk about his mother, Susanna Wesley. They had like 12 kids. She would go, and the kids couldn't bother when she went into her closet. She'd put a shawl over her face, and she'd come out glowing. She'd come out glowing while she would begin to speak to those kids. And no wonder her two of her sons literally changed history. You get a couple of moms glowing. 
No, I'm serious. You get a couple of moms glowing, coming off the mountain like Moses, saying, "Uh uh-uh, i got to be with Jesus. We've got to learn that our kids here know. I've said it for years that I believe, and and I'm going to share another verse here in a second. I believe that the greatest mark we're going to leave on our kids, more than all of our words, our instructions, all of the stuff that we tell them to do and not to do, is when little Bobby wakes up in the morning, And he runs in there at 6.40 or whatever, 7 a.m., and he sees mom or dad on the couch, a Bible open, a notebook open, maybe a song, uh, uh, some kind of music on, and they walk in and they see tears coming down mom and dad's face. I promise you that will leave a greater mark than a thousand things you'll ever say to them when they begin to encounter Jesus is a real person in whom mom has intimacy with. And that he's not a service, he's not a religion, he's not a, 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 a thing that we do once a week, but he's a real man in whom Jesus, and whom mom knows in a deep way. And I feel God when I'm around her. That will leave a mark, will be the tears. And it will be the tears of God, where are you? It will be all the tears, the ugly tears, the beautiful tears, the grunts and the us. All of it. It'll be a real life lived before God. That will leave the great mark. It won't be a religious life. It won't be a 45 minutes and 20 bucks once a week life that will affect your kids. It will be a life of genuine sincerity, of reaching for God in the good, the bad, the ugly, and all in between. I want to just call moms, and I want to call some of you who fill in dead-end jobs, fill in dead-end callings. I'm grateful that I, got, I, got, I grew up with a dad that worked 30 years and didn't miss a day. He worked in an air conditioning factory. He didn't miss one day in 30 years. And he lived his whole life to lead a man to the Lord right before he retired. He worked on one man for 30 years and got him led to the Lord. That's my evaluation of greatness. That's my evaluation of greatness. And if the Lord releases 30 million through me, praise God, but oh God. I want to I want to live a life that I want to live a life that catches your attention, that's faithful in that that embraces hiddenness and doesn't kick against the mundane, but saying, God, I got to find you in the mundane. We didn't meet Jesus till he was 30. What do you do with those 30 years? He wasn't an angel. He wasn't in heaven. It was mundane. It was routine that produced a three and a half year explosion so he could go into 2,000 years of hidden intercession. He's all about hiddenness. He prepared Moses in hiddenness. He prepared David in hiddenness. He prepared Jesus in hiddenness. He prepared John in hiddenness. Isaiah 49 says, you've hidden me like a polished shaft. You've hidden me in your quiver. People say, what a waste. But my just reward is with the Lord. Isaiah 49, it's the father speaking to the son. He goes, you know what, son? It's not enough that I just give you Israel. I'm going to give you all the nations. (laughs) Because you embrace hiddenness. Isaiah 53 said there was nothing really cool about him that we should desire him. Nothing special. Yet he is gloriously famous in heaven. The lamb is gloriously famous in heaven. 
I want to give you a vision. Moms, this is a verse that's been on me for about a month now, and then I'll, I'll pray for you. Hallelujah. It's, uh, go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy. Uh, it's a verse that's been on me for the last uh, something. 2 Timothy 1. It's a kind of, you would bypass it when you're reading it, but this is just showing me. This is the thing that's getting me. Chapter, uh, yeah, yeah. Chapter 1 5. Here it is. That's the one I want you to look at. He's talking to Timothy, and this is what he says because this is the thing that's getting on the inside of me generational legacy, generational DNA. Legacies. Amen. Look at this moms, grandmoms. Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, When I call to remembrance, there's the phrase genuine faith. The genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, but it dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and it was in your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded it's in you also. You see this. Three generations of genuine faith that got passed down to generations. Three generations. I don't know about you, but that's what I want with my life. I want to give that. I've been hearing Proverbs 13.3, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Financial, yes, but they need more than your 401K. They need more than your retirement portfolio. They need lives that have been sowed in secret that gets passed to the next generation and keeps getting passed a genuine faith, You, which means, you know what that means? They're not just churchgoers. They're not just Sunday morning. And then they live six days, 23 hours, and 15 minutes disconnected. It's a genuine faith. It's a real faith. It's an ugly faith. It's not a everything's perfect faith. It's, it's ugly. It's hard. But they watch mom press through some things. And I want to tell you, generational DNA has got to be fought for. you got to fight for things. we got to fight some demons, grandmoms. That, that don't get passed on to moms and don't get passed on to grandsons. we got to get breakthrough from generational iniquities and cycles that shift things for generations. That's what I'm doing. I'm taking on some giants so my girls can walk under things. That my, Me and my wife are fighting through things so my kids can walk in things and keep getting past it. I want to sow a genuine faith into future generations. That's what I want to give, and I got one moment. And this is the crazy thing. No, this, I mean, Lois is pretty awesome. She got in the Bible, but probably nobody knew much about Lois. The hidden life produces Timothy's. And I'll tell you what validates Lois's life, a Timothy. That's what heaven thinks about her. You've got right DNA for me to bring forth something. But the thing is, can you get delivered from man's applause, man's approval, and how awesome everybody thinks you is, and if nobody ever notices you, is that okay? If nobody ever talks about you in any kind of way, is that okay? Some of you are like, I don't want it. Well, the Lord will put you in front of it then. I want to live a life that gets his attention. I, I know this is intense, but when I think about motherhood, there is no more sacred calling. There is no b- more beautiful, noble calling, and it provokes me. As a husband, as a father, that's my primary ministry and calling. 
It's for generational DNA. But I want to get delivered. I'm grateful for platform and what he gives me and the gifts he's given me. But I'm over here crying. When brother hits that and the room shifts, I'm like, I, write, I have to write Misty Edwards. I start writing her. She was one of our worship leaders, and we sing her songs all the time. And I just start writing her just saying, all the songs that you sang about, give me dove's eyes. Give me dove's eyes. Undistracted devotion for only you. God, I want to live. I don't want to talk about you. God, I want a life that moves heaven. And it may not move men. And men may never celebrate it or say anything awesome about it. But I want to get heaven's attention about my life. I got one shot. And if it shows up on little Bobby Russell in 2060, let it be. <laughs> I've just got it stirred about even, I'm going to probably, we're going to our Denver intensive upper room is this coming weekend, and I'll probably preach on Psalm 132 where it says, Lord, remember David. Do you know that's Solomon praying that? At the dedication of the temple, he goes, Lord, I got one calling card. I don't know anything. Remember my dad. You know how heaven answered that prayer? Do you all know what happened? Fire fell from heaven. And the priest couldn't minister in the temple because of the glory. That's what heaven thought about that man's life. That's what I want. Amen? Moms, I honor you. I say take up the nobility of a hidden, mundane life. Let it work something in you in this season. Let it chaff you, deliver you. Let it just submit to it. Men, submit to it. Women, submit to it. Let's submit to the work of God because this is how he, he brings forth his choice arrows and his choice swords is through the shaft, the, the, the hiddenness, and through the, the place that nobody else sees. Amen? Is this landing? Is this communicating? All right, good. Let's, let's stand. Good, good. Glory. Jesus. I want to be a wise virgin, don't you? I want to be a wise virgin. We're all virgins to Christ. If you're, if you're saved, you're a virgin. You're set apart to him, which means you're wholly his. You don't have other lovers. Ha, <laughs> ha. Thank you, Lord. Just open up your hand. I just want to pray for you. If I could get delivered from how many Instagram likes, if I could get delivered from how many Facebook likes, how many times somebody acknowledges or doesn't acknowledge, how many times my husband sees or doesn't see, my kids see or don't see, God, I pray that you would release heaven's evaluation upon us. God, I pray that you would connect us to the eyes of heaven, to the evaluation of heaven. God, I pray for the revelation of hiddenness, for the revelation of living before your eyes, Lord. I pray that you would wash our eyes and that you would cleanse our eyes. I want to be great in your sight. I want to be great in your sight. 
Father, I pray right now for just heaven to move off of people's minds and that they could have one glimpse of Jesus in his eyes. I pray for Jesus' eyes and the stuff that you call beautiful and awesome, we would come into alignment with it. Oh, I, I know what I was going to do. I'm sorry. Go ahead and sit back down. Two more minutes, then we'll do that thing again. He's got to deliver you from a demon. There's a snake in your garden. And there's a snake in your garden that the snake's called comparison. Moms, comparison is the snake in your garden. Brothers and sisters, the snake in your garden is, why does it look so awesome for that person, and yet my life looks like this? Why does it seem like their kids got it all together and my kids look like this? Why does their marriage, this, their life, their calling, their gifting, and my life looks like this? And I believe that the Lord wants to eradicate comparison from you because that's what gets in the way of you being able to see him and hear his evaluation is the comparison with everybody else. I'm thinking of two verses, and then I'll pray for you. John 21, Peter looked back at Jesus and said, what about him? <laughs> Jesus told Peter, buddy, you got, you got a life ahead of you. And Peter was so wrapped up. Jesus is getting his commissioning from Jesus. Peter's getting his commissioning from Jesus, and in the middle of the encounter goes, what about John? And you know, Jesus slapped him, said, what is it to you if I keep him here till I come back? Which means stop it. I'll do with him what I want to do with him, but I'm going to do with you what I want to do with you. Get your eyes off of everybody else's journey. Get your eyes off of everybody's usefulness and put it on me. That's number one. And then number two, I had Song of Solomon 3 come to me where the Shulamite says, I will go my way up the mountain of myrrh. Every one of you in this room have your way that nobody else has. Every one of you in this room, I, don't, I promise you, whoever seems like they got it all together, there's all kinds of things. I promise you, you want to thank God for your lot and where you're at, and you want to go your way up the mountain of myrrh, take your eyes off of everybody else, get out of the complaining room, and say, God, I'm going to go my way to the mountain of myrrh, and I'm going to keep my eyes on you and get out of the distraction room and the accusation room and the comparison room. We want to come out of that thing, come out of the other voices, and lock in and run our race that he has set before us. Amen? All right, stand again. We're going to pray for you. Good. Deliverance. Break it. Break the power of comparison. Break the power of other voices. Break the power of accusation. Break the power of lies. I will go my way, the mountain of myrrh. I will take up my cross and I will follow you. 